COVID injuries, close wins, downfalls, but above all, again, nonstop EuroLeague action on EuroLeague Sweet 16. Here we go. Tune in. Great pass from Diamantidis. The lob is done. Here we go. 40 minutes to a title. David Blue for three. On the mark, David Blue. As ever, we are up on SoundCloud and we are, of course, uh, on wherever you get good podcasts. So be sure to search for EuroLeague Sweet 16 to subscribe and get the episodes as soon as they drop. Hello and welcome to yet another amazing episode of EuroLeague Sweet 16 with me, as always, Moshe from Team Scout. And we also have with us today... A family member, one of the founding fathers of this show, Aris from Eurohoops. How are you doing? Hello. Hello to everyone. It's been a long time, but uh, I'm back. Uh, unfortunately, no one else is for this episode, but uh, we're good to go. I mean, yeah. Well, first of all, just to, to set the record straight, Emmett is actually currently uh, filming Under Siege 3, where he's going to... Uh, to portray the role of, of the cook. And as for Lewis, from what we understand, he's currently sparring with, uh, he's sparring with uh, Vito Soto. So, you know, um, Aris, we had quite the week before we even go to the uh, crazy, crazy results, games. I think COVID is uh, beginning to rise its ugly head again, isn't it? Yes. And thankfully, the guys that are missing are probably influenced by the holiday spirit and not by COVID, but we have two games postponed. This is a first for this season. Uh, we have forgotten pretty much about COVID until uh, Milan happens. And this week we have Milan and Real Madrid also uh, not being able to field eight players so they can compete for this week's game. So. Uh, there are two games less. The games will be rescheduled. However, uh, it seems strange that uh, after one year, uh, when the start of the season, the, when everything was going according to the plan, we seem to just before uh, the change of the year, uh, traveling back in time and being back in 2020. You know, to me, it seems as if, as if 2020 never ended. And so we are in a never-ending cycle for now. I mean, we're going to break yeah. it eventually. Pretty much that's a situation. And you, ca you can't really do much. You, you can't do anything, to be exact. <laughs> so it, it, it is what it is. So I hope that uh, uh, soon enough uh, the whole situation will be resolved uh, once and for all. And uh, I think that uh, we have everyone pretty much right now has learned how to live with uh, the virus. So... It is what it is. We have to be careful. We have not to stress our luck because that's the point of not having those two games uh, this week. Uh, I hope that all the COVID cases uh, uh, in the teams are mild uh, at best because all of EuroLeague players, with very few exceptions, uh, are vaccinated. So. Uh, the point here is when we will have enough protection in order to avoid this kind of situations and, uh, of course, when we will have uh, the medicine in order to avoid uh, quarantine and all the things that uh, goes, uh, still goes together with COVID. 
Yeah, but in the meantime, you're here, I'm here. Uh, some of the guys are filming, others are fighting, and I think, you know, let's just let the good times roll. So without further ado, it is time for the most inaccurately named segment in all the sports and entertainment today. It is time for the four-minute warning. Four minutes to get through all the action that just happened in EuroLeague. It's the four-minute warning. Now, Aris, I want to start off by saying, I mean, okay, yes, COVID is back. We can probably say that, I mean, it's surprising that it happened so far into the season, I mean, relatively speaking, of course. But I think that for teams like Milan, who were injury-plagued to begin with, this could be somewhat of a season changer at the end of the day, isn't it? Totally, totally, because we don't know when the teams are back in action, uh, how things will be. Of course, uh, uh, it's a good thing both for Real Madrid and for Milan that the outbreak is happening now and not in the playoffs, like it happened. Last year with Fenerbahce, which is uh, on a hell of a, an unlucky streak. Uh, this time due to injuries and not due to COVID. However, uh, the good thing is that uh, everything is really happening after the end of the first round. So we have a pretty good idea about what its team can do. And the question right now is, if uh, the COVID cases will be enough to derail the season of any team. Because it's not just Real Madrid and Milan. Panathinaikos had COVID, has COVID cases, Olympiakos has COVID cases, and, and Barcelona also has COVID cases. Uh, a couple or one on those uh, clubs. However, uh, the point is that everyone needs to be careful. You know, you mentioned Barcelona. First of all, of course, um... By the way, you kind of we kind of missed it, but so I said now. Uh, first of all, Merry Christmas to you all, and I do hope that the holidays finds you all well, and of course you are as well. Yeah, let's say happy holidays because you know the, 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 there are a lot of uh, non-Christian followers in the Euroleague, <laughs> and we have to accept that. Okay, of course, Christmas is not uh, is a very inclusive holiday, so. Let's go with happy holidays. And because we're talking happy holidays, I think that the game of Barcelona and Kazan was was very much that. A happy holiday for basketball lovers throughout the world. Now, I think it is this win. And and I'm not saying it's just because I'm not saying this just because of the comeback from being down like 20. I'm saying this because even though they got Dante Axum, right? There's still with there, there's still no Higgins, still no Calathis. And you're thinking to yourself, like, there was one win against Anadolu FS where you thought, okay, that's impressive. But to be at home, minus 20, and you don't have these guys. Of course, there was the uh, the thing with the free throws that they had, like, they were so close to make it 40 or 40, which is impressive, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, a lot of good stories to, to follow in that game. But still, it, how impressive is it to you when we're talking not only – coming back from minus 20, but also not having a couple of guys that are supposed to be two big names, not just big names, you know, two big players in your both offensive and defensive scheme. Uh, look, first of all, kudos to Barcelona. It goes without saying that uh, they performed a small miracle. Uh, that was an amazing comeback. And even if there is uh, an ongoing debate about... Uh, the foul situation uh, that gave Nikola Mirotic three free throws. The, the only real argument here is if 
the, the refs should have decided that uh, they needed to award two or three uh, instead of three free throws. I think that uh, Mirotic created the contact uh, that it was uh, good enough in order to get a foul, e even if uh, uh, at some point uh, the refs and uh, of course before the season have to decide uh, if they should award the player who is on the offense with such free throws when the game special is on the line. However, uh, we have also to note the fact that Unix lost the game. You know, if Unix did uh, a couple of things a little bit better in crunch time, then the comeback wouldn't be uh, possible. That, that's the story on all big comebacks. You know, we're all talking about the comeback of Olympiacos in the Istanbul final, but we all forget the fact that uh, Ramon Asiskauskas, a guy who never missed on the free throw lines, missed twice. You know, if he, he, he had made his shots, then the game would have been out of reach for Olympiacos. True. I mean, it's a thing about essentially of keeping their composure. And, you know, you're talking about this comeback. And it's funny because the year after Olympiacos came back from minus 17, I think, at the beginning of the game versus Madrid. Yes, exactly. So, of course, those are very different situations. Because, yes. Tseska uh, uh, had the chance to lock the game. And Unix also had the chance to win the game in, the, in regulation. I think that... Uh, uh, the main issue for Unix was the fact that uh, at some point, especially in the overtime, uh, the key players of the team were tired. That can be said also for Barcelona. However, Barcelona got a little bit from everyone. Uh, you know, they got a key offensive rebound from Schmitz, for example. Uh, they got some players from Sertak Sanoli. They got a big push from Jokubaitis. And even the overtime, uh, you had uh, Zaya Cannon in the front free throw line uh, missing uh, some key shots. So I, I think that it, the, on, on the fast break. Yes, yes. So I think that it, it's a very, 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 very interesting result in uh, uh, the aspect that Barcelona faced adversity. They practically lost the game. And they kept the composure with all these key players missing and found a way to win it. Uh, there's an argument that uh, the referees were at least a little bit more respective to the home court than they should. Okay, uh, but you know, that's not a first. And it's not yeah. something that has to do only with Barcelona because we have seen a lot of guys saying that uh, you know, the refs awarded the game to Barcelona. No, uh, it, it, I think that the only real uh, thing that you can say about Barcelona on the course maybe is just the Mirotic situation. And I, I think that it, it was kind of overblown at some point. Can I be uh, controversial here? Okay, yes. I mean, we, we talked about this play in our WhatsApp group and I sent a screenshot to me, the moment where Tony Jakiri touched because he he put his hand on Miritich's stomach at the beginning of the play. So that was like the, the initial contact. To me, what, what I saw was the question here was whether it was an active act of shooting. 
And to me, it seemed that, and I tried to run it frame by frame, but on, on the phone and not like on an, an video editing software, it's a bit more difficult to say the least. But it seemed as if it was like a one motion kind of thing. Now, if we ignore the, you know, the matrix move made by both Jakiri and Miritich, right after, right, when, when the whistle was eventually blown, you know, when the rep lose whistle and your word Miritich, you, you can argue at that specific point that it seemed as if it was the beginning of somewhat of an act of shooting. Like, true, Miritich took advantage of it, but it wasn't, it wasn't conclusive to the point where you can see for a fact that it, it wasn't or that it was an attempt or not. Well, I, I agree with you, and I think that the bigger picture is not exactly that call. It's the fact that there was the perception that uh, Barcelona, as the home side and as the favorite, will get the calls. I think that, that that's the biggest takeaway here. And there was also the impression, and I think that even the players of Unix at some point might have believed it, that they couldn't get the calls. Yeah, but, because, uh, I agree. But, 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 yeah. but yes, but if you see the, if you see the game, the way that things went, uh, you, you couldn't really make a case about that. No, I mean, the, 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 honestly, the, the, they just the, collapsed. The, Aris, the, they just collapsed under pressure. Essentially, like it felt like they felt that the rims were getting smaller and smaller. Yes, and and, and, and there wasn't a case of you know an obvious non-call or or a foul that was made and was never called by the referees. You know I, that that's the issue here. I I think that it's it's something that Unix must improve on and uh, be much more concentrated because they really had a chance to win the game uh, after all that it was said and done. And uh, simply the ball didn't go in. Now let, let's move on and talk about perhaps the second most, or you know what, if, it, it could easily be the, the first most impressive game that I think we've, we've seen in ages. Dare I even say, now I know, we've seen some amazing finals game, like in this decade alone, with Olympiacos, Maccabi, the, the, like, the comeback of Cheska from the brink of death, essentially, in Berlin uh, against Fenner. And, and still, there was, like, with all of those amazing comebacks, I don't think that we saw a game that was as heartwarming and a feel-good story, to a certain extent, of course, than the, the game of Real Madrid versus Cheska, than that win. Yes, because that's that's a whole different ball game. You know, uh, a lot of people were saying why the Euroleague doesn't cancel the game. The answer is very simple. The game wasn't cancelled because, according to the rules, Real Madrid was able to fill the team. And uh, that's a testament to the whole Real Madrid as an organization and especially as a basketball school. Uh, there is a ton of talent coming out from Real Madrid. They totally understand the fact that they will lose all this talent eventually, or at least the top talent to the NBA but they still invest in that. They have pride on producing top-level talent and they are uh, after the buyouts. That's obvious. And uh, in the meantime, they take the most uh, that they can out of those players. You know, I, I really don't see Tristan Vucevic not being big picked in the draft. However, uh, 
Tristan Vucevic is already a contributor to a top team in the EuroLeague like Real Madrid. Uh, the sad thing, the sad truth is that you don't see all those talents performing at the top level of their abilities in the EuroLeague because they are still young. However, on the other hand, you, you, you must uh, give all the credit to Real Madrid because they are doing this for at least uh, uh, a decade right now. Yeah, I mean, it's. It, I think it's. It became more and more clear than in the uh, in the Lasso era of the club. Where you saw those, and again, I'm not taking away anything from the youth coaches department, but honestly, it's 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 something that I mean, I get it. You know, it, it's hard to produce local talent, and we are seeing we're we're seeing this, I think, throughout Europe. I think perhaps that Real Madrid is maybe the only example of of a club that is successfully managing to produce. These talents, and again, don't get me wrong. It's not like that all of them are Spanish, right? Because, like for example, in Israel, you you can't let like a a, a foreign kid, right, who, who doesn't have like yeah. a citizenship or anything, to to play in the youth departments. So you cannot exactly. import kind of thing. In Greece, I'm assuming it's the same, right? Oh, uh, well, not exactly, but pretty much the same, because you have the example of Olympiakos and Alexei Pogosevsky. Of course, yeah. You you you, you can't have uh non-geek players but uh, when they are 18 then uh, they are counted as foreigners and that's not the case in spain uh, they're counted as homegrown players no matter their nationality um, to me it was just impressive to see a bunch of kids uh how many of which i think four had their EuroLeague debuts and they exactly. fought crazy four. and he had like four four old timers it was like he had four guys like it, it was just at the edge, nothing like in between, you know, he didn't have like guys who were at their pick and their peak of their careers. Okay. Maybe, maybe Eddie, uh, but you had there, Yui, you had there, Nigel Williams, Goss, who came back to Europe after his NBA stint. And we know it, it's a, it became somewhat of a fact that these guys were coming back from the States. They need that year of, you know, reacclimating themselves into the competition. And so essentially you had like a crazy short roster and if I'm Cheska, if we're honest about it, I'm I'm worried. I totally agree with you. But on the other hand, we have seen time and time again the fact that uh, when we're talking about top teams at top competitions, having a short roster for whatever reason usually works in your favor. I'm not saying that Real Madrid was the favorite to win the, this game. On the contrary, but I'm saying that we have seen time and time again teams that are depleted for whatever reason, uh, performing admirably. And even if they lose a game, they don't lose it by a landslide. I get it. Tell me now, we're seeing, obviously it was, um, it was inevitable that a game of, uh, the games of Real Madrid and Milan will be postponed. Uh, but here's my question to you. We are looking at Bayern Munich. And for the first time this year, I've seen them play in front of a very, very sad and empty house. And they lost. But it feels like they are going through something that is, uh, I don't know if I can say something bad or that I'm extremely worried for them, but something is not clicking all of a sudden the way that it did. 
is it a sign of things to come or is it just like, you know, a bad patch? And with this roster that arguably is not as good as the one they had last year, can they actually come well, back in this? You can make the argument, but I think that uh, it's simply the backlash from having a miracle season last year. If you look back at what happened with uh, at the start of last season with Bayern, you see a team that uh, won a lot of games uh, on the last shot, a team that was really resilient, made comebacks against teams that were not clicking yet, and they used this momentum in the second round to stay in the playoffs. If you remember, at some point, uh, Bayern was flirting with the idea of having home court advantage. However, in the end, uh, they had to fight until the last moment in order to get the playoffs. I'm not taking away anything from from their last season, but I believe that uh, we got uh, uh, a version of uh, Bayern that practically overachieved. And uh, because of that, the expectation skyrocketed. On paper, if you have seen the roster of Bayern last year, you wouldn't expect them to make the playoffs. So I think that this is a much more realistic season for Bayern, and the way that they will manage the season will uh, prove if they are ready to take the next step and be regular EuroLeague playoffs contender. You know, yeah. because you can you, you can make run at some point, like for example, Zalgiris did under Saras, you can do what Bayern did, but ultimately we're in a league where uh, the top European clubs are competing and uh, the top clubs are uh, separated with the rest of the competition, mainly with the money that they have to spend. That's a given, that's a fact. They are not cheap teams in the EuroLeague compared to the teams that are competing even to the other continental competitions. And uh, at some point, you have to decide that you need to spend more that you earn. At least that's the, the business model right now. It's a foolish business model. Okay, we know that. We have analyzed it a lot, but it is what it is. You may get away and uh, at some point and create a season to remember, but if you don't spend enough money, then you can't really surprise everyone every season. And you can, you, we are also seeing the opposite. We have seen, for example, Zalgiris having a record budget for their standards, which is not a small uh, amount of money, it's around 10 million euros. And uh, despite the, this fact, they are not delivering. You know, the, 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 everything that they did simply didn't work at the start of the season. So, yes, money doesn't guarantee success. But on the other hand, it's very, very, very hard in the EuroLeague to have success without really spending money. The, the, there is maybe uh, a sweet spot that uh, you need to reach. Maybe you don't have to overspend a lot. but I don't see how a team with moderate uh, assets, uh, money-wise, can compete steadily in the playoffs. You have to be in the upper echelon, and that includes also money. You know what amazes me? What? That after all these years, things that you've said in the first seasons of the show 
are not only still relevant, they're freaking spot on. It was yeah, you, yeah. <laughs> you know, and this is a very bad thing about the Euroleague because it means that practically, other than the change of the format, the mentality of the teams and the way that the teams are built in Europe has not changed. Yeah, but but the thing is, because that you know, when you're looking at the um, just not even on a market, look at, at the talent spread that you have in the world, not just like in Europe. Okay, L- let's be fair. You don't have a never-ending line of talent where you can just replace one with the other. And, totally. So, and, and that's evident even in the NBA right now. Yeah. So w- when, you, when you claimed all these years ago that sometimes your success is your biggest enemy, essentially, in the following season, you know, to me, it's like you belong to that era of, of you're a gladiator. Why? Because... What you say is re- is like is still relevant. That you know, if we'll have this conversation in ten years time from now, it's like all the all of those comic acts that were you know relevant ten twenty years ago are still relevant today. And you don't know if it's if it's sadder or like obviously the per- those who claimed what they claimed were crazy smart. But it just makes it a whole lot more special. If you know what I mean? Yes, and, and, and that and that. That must change. I think that we are totally agree, all of us on that, that this, this model is a dead end. Probably. And, you know, we look at the financial situation in Turkey and, you know, you, you can't help but wonder, you know, for how long Benner and Anadolu will be able to keep, to keep up, you know, bringing those high caliber blue chips kind of guys. But maybe that's a discussion for a whole different day, for, for a completely different day? Yes, I totally agree. Okay, so, I mean, we are I'm not that worried about Bayern, but it is something to note. Kazan, I think, are exactly where they should be, even though they are entering somewhat of a very interesting phase in, in the season, just looking at their uh, schedule, you know, what they got. Ahead. Yes, and, and and one very important note. I love Casey Rivers, and I see I have seen a tweet of him that maybe it's his energy that it's a problem. No, no, Casey, that, that can't be the case with you, man. He, he, he's a pro's pro. He's a gentleman. He's a very positive influence in every team on and off the court. So I don't think that there is any bad energy connected with Casey Rivers. Speaking about the results of Bayern. No, it's, uh, first of all, you just joined the team. How on earth can someone connect it to that? that uh, that's, that's a testament to the guy, to, to, to the quality of this guy, because he has just joined the team and he feels already responsible. Listen, honestly, he's, he's one of the guys that, I mean, you, you got to meet him to understand how great of a person he is and how respectable. Exactly. I, I totally agree. Like the, the the impression he left on me, I think it was in the Madrid Final Four, 2015. Yes, it goes with me till this day, and I think it will go with me for you know many 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 years to come. Maris, let's talk. Maccabi. is there a okay. season over? When you when you think about it, truly, deeply, thoroughly, or when you look at their three four games ahead, do you see still a glimpse of hope? Because if, if there is something that COVID has taught us that is that the numbers and all of the 
analysis that we, that we claim to do, you know, with the numbers, with the four game losing streak and the double rounders and what have you, is that maybe it goes out the window. But honestly, the way that they look, should they uh, okay, we done? Uh, no, not at all. Uh, Maccabi has all the potential to be in the playoffs. Uh, that, that goes without saying. And considering the unfortunate situation in Fenerbahce, with the injuries of Jan Vessel and Ando De Polo, I could even say that Maccabi is closer to, to the playoffs right now compared to Fenerbahce, because it is, it is, you can really replace Nando De Colo and Jan Vesely. On the other hand, uh, we are pretty sure that the honeymoon between uh, Coach Feropoulos and uh, the Maccabi fans, for sure, it's over. Uh, th there is a level of respect to the coach, but ultimately what everyone needs is results. And uh, the coach usually is the one who pays the price when things go south. We know that. Coach Feropoulos knows that. And uh, he will be fighting uh, for the club and also for his position on the bench. However, I think that uh, the problem with Maccabi ultimately is the fact that other than uh, Scotty Wilbeking, there is no other focal point in the team. There is no other player who can take the team on his back. James Nunnally did this on a number of occasions, but uh, so far he has not emerged as, let's say, the co-leader of Scotty Wilbeking. I think that's the big problem here. And the fact that Maccabi expects too much from Wilbeking makes the team too predictable. And, and I don't think that it's only a matter of how Maccabi plays or of how Coach Feropoulos' schemes are based on Scotty Wilbeking. I think that the main issue here is the fact that the way that Maccabi is built, and that goes back to the financial issues, because this version of Maccabi is clearly financially hit by COVID, uh, simply doesn't have the assets that other teams have. For example, we are talking about Fenerbahce and how they are not delivering. But in theory, on paper, uh, Fenerbahce has uh, on the backcourt Nando De Colo and uh, Pierre Henry, and on the front line, Achille Polonara and Jan Vesely. I'm mentioning only those four guys because they are all EuroLeague standouts, which are the four players of Maccabi that belong to the same level. Uh, let's say Wilbekin, Nanali, uh, Zizic, and uh, Reynolds. So uh, you can see that on paper, the comparison clearly favors Fenerbahce, even if the results are pretty much the same. And you can make an argument that the basketball that Fenerbahce was producing even with all the players available was not on par with the stability that uh, Maccabi has illustrated throughout the Sferopoulos era. So yeah. I, I think that maybe what uh, everyone admitted in Sferopoulos openly said after losing to Hapoel Tel Aviv that the team needs some boost and will get some players in the market might be the way to go right now in order to improve. You know, what amazes me is like when we're when we're talking Maccabi and, and Coach Giannis, it just goes to show you how fragile COVID has made basketball. Because if you remember, 
1920 season, you just think of the, of the names that Maccabi had. And I'm not just talking foreigners, I'm talking even the, the domestic core. And we all know like the importance of domestic core, especially in this format of the EuroLeague. But in, in, in those days, Maccabi were planning to, to build a team that will aspire to become a dynasty, like the one that they had uh, while we're talking now, like 18 years ago now, 17 years ago. Yes. And Vesaras, Marcel Baston, Nicola, Vucic Parker, I guess. And they started making those moves. You know, they extended Coach Giannis, they, um, they extended Scotty, they... They extended, extended Othello Hunter. They wanted to do the same with Tyler Dorsey and Quincy AC. And already back then in, this, in December, they started putting a whole lot of pressure on, on Ante Zizic. And you knew exactly where this team is headed. And then COVID hits. And we are now a year and a half later, right? Pretty much, yes. And you, we, we, practically, we practically never, seen, never had seen what... what will be the end result of this of that team. Exactly. <laughs> a, a, a team that was playoffs bound, at least. Yeah, and, and, and it, that's my point exactly. And um, I think you said about Scotty, I think that, you know, with him, it's like it's him and Zizia. And by the way, yeah, I'm saying Zizia because I learned it from, from you know, from Greece. I, I knew that that was uh, Andrea's nickname in, when he was playing for Olympiakos. Yes. So, you know, if, I mean, if you're saying it's not over, I mean, it was, it was Nikos who told us, you know, in the 2014 finals, it's like, it's not over at halftime. This is perhaps like, I, I remember that moment so vividly. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make a, a very small detour here. I think that a moment where the thing, you know, things kind of started changing in that specific game against Cheska was when three Madrid players kind of entered the arena and then, you know, they kind of, they, they kind of made it, um, made all the fans in the arena go crazy start, because they started booing and then like, you know, Maccabi kind of, they got those energies and they started reacting. And it reminded me a whole lot of what Isaiah Kanan did <laughs> against Barcelona. Like imagine if you would have just like shushed them up yeah. that long before, like if you would have waited five, six more minutes, what would have happened then? I, I do mean the barcelona unix Kazan game, just to be clear. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it's not smart to, to pick them, to, to poke the beast. Yeah. That's for sure. <laughs> Speaking of beasts, let's talk Olympiacos. Well, well you, you know, Olympiacos is in a very peculiar uh, crossroad right now because we are all talking about the game against Panathinaikos. But uh, uh, that's almost entirely Olympiacos' fault, you know, because on domestic rivalries, there is no uh, real explanation about how things may happen at some point. And Olympiacos lost in the Greek League to Panathinaikos at home. So everyone expected to see the reaction of Olympiacos against Panathinaikos and if they could uh, get the monkey off their back. Because on paper, if uh, the team wasn't called Panathinaikos and uh, they played in any other arena of the world, you will see that uh, in theory the, the game was a lock even before it started for Olympiakos. So I think that the real test for Olympiakos comes this week 
in the game against the Seca, where Olympiacos once again has all the potential in the world to get the win and even get the tiebreaker of the six-point uh, differential and uh, get a huge advantage in the race for the home court advantage of the play. So I think that, uh, yes, Olympiacos was impressive against Panathinaikos. Everyone loves to see games like this. Panathinaikos against Olympiacos, Tsvernas Vesda against Partizan, Real Madrid against Barcelona. I, I totally understand that. But in the big scene of uh, the EuroLeague, uh, Olympiacos really had only to lose in this game if things were went south. And Panathinaikos will gain maybe a couple of months of serenity. But looking at the standings, even if they got their fifth win of the season, this is not what a team with the legacy of Panathinaikos is expected to deliver. To me, I'm I'm just seeing them and I don't see a whole lot of teams that can stop them or can contain their depth and the level of quality coming off that bench. It's um, I, I know that they had their uh, mishap against Panathinaikos and we also saw a comeback, um, you know, a comeback attempt at least by Panathinaikos in that game. But I mean, wow. It's like you, you cannot feel... You know, not impressed by how easy sometimes they can demolish or annihilate teams. Like they are showing us, you know, they are showing us uh, um, stretches of basketball that's so good that is borderline championship team good stretch. If you, if, if that makes any sense. That, that that's that's the most interesting takeaway about Olympia because the fact that they are just not winning games, but they are doing it by producing uh, some stretches of amazing basketball. The ball movement, the shooting ability, the self-confidence, uh, the way that the offense explodes and uh, you get, uh, let's say, 10 points in one minute or something like that. That's really admirable. And it's uh, a kind of game that we have not seen in Olympiacos practically since the season when uh, the team won the second of the back-to-back -back titles under coach Barjokas. It, it, it's like we're seeing a, a, an improved version of the game that was produced in the final against Real Madrid in London. That, that's the most impressive thing about this version of Olympiacos. Wow, that, oh my, you sent me back right now. It's like, I, I remember the you know, kill Bill's three-point shots. They they were like, each and every one of them was a dagger. It's like, you could have seen the looks on Madrid, on the Madrid players' faces. Like, they, each and every one of them hurt. That, that's the thing, that it's not like Olympiacos is winning games. It's the fact that the way that the, the Olympiacos plays when things are clicking on, on offense is demoralizing every opponent. And here's what I don't get, because you look at Anadolu FS and their comeback run, shall we say, and they're not producing that kind of dominance, you know, on the court. It's, it's just not, it's not the same. Yeah, not yet. Not yeah. yet, because the, the closest thing that we have seen to that was uh, last year's FS in the Final Four. That's true. Tell me, what do you think? And, and, and you can't make the argument that Olympiacos plays better right now because, you know, FS did it in the Final Four. 
with Shane Larkin and Vasily Misic playing on their own pace against a team like Barcelona. So uh, we have to wait and see. But the omens for Olympiacos right now are pretty good and this game against Seseca can be the key for something big. Obviously, that's a storyline to follow. Um, I, I want to ask you one thing, though, about Zenit, because we, we're not, it feels like we're not talking about them enough. Sometimes they're the hottest team, sometimes they're not. They're supposed to be getting Shabazz Napier finally. What do we make of all of this? And I'll, I'll just say like a one-liner kind of thing about the Fenner-Asvel uh, game. I think that if it weren't for the injuries of Decolo and Vesely, we would have had like a complete different discussion and perhaps also a complete different result. So uh, let's get back. With all the respect to Asvel, of course, it was a great win. Uh, let's get, though, to uh, Zenit. Well, uh, that's a dark horse. Okay, I think we agree on that. Because, uh, you know, they had the bad luck to cross paths with Barcelona last year. And uh, even without uh, Napier, they are pretty impressive so far. So I think that because always we have a team that nobody really had penned down for the final four. And... Uh, the fact that Zenith remains a newcomer in the EuroLeague and remains a team that uh, has a relatively small fan base and uh, uh, is making baby steps on the big stage of European basketball, I think that making it to the Final Four it, it will be amazing and also can be excluded. You know, because Zenith obviously learned as an organization from last year and you can make an argument that this is a really improved version compared to last year. Yes, they lost Pangos, but if Napier delivers, uh, considering the fact that the rest of the team has already delivered without Napier, they will be scary. Yeah, and, and, and Napier showed us like amazing stretches of basketball. I know it was preseason and everything, but with him, it's like they are even contenders to, to win the, the, the Veta Belli, which is incredible in its own right yes totally totally and they are leading the race with this so far yeah i mean when, when you look at the top eight right now which of the teams that are not within the first eight do you see being able to make it there and from the current eight seated teams which do you believe that won't make it, it, it it's a very hard choice you know, right right now, it's a really, really hard choice because uh, you can't see any team in the top eight that can uh, slip away. Maybe maybe you can make a case about Tunics, but uh, they're playing amazingly. So uh, all the teams that are right now are outside the top eight and... Uh, we are speaking mainly about as well Fenerbahce, Maccabi, Zvezda and Bayern. Uh, maybe also Monaco, sorry Alba and Basconia. I think that uh, they will have a very hard time to dethrone one of the top eight teams. And I really, on paper right now, only Maccabi can beat, let's say, a couple or more teams that are currently in the top eight. Uh, Fenerbahce, in theory, could do the same also, but no, I'm not so sure after losing in a crucial moment of the season, Jan Vesely and Ante Decolo. Uh, 
I, I don't see as well and Zvezda having regularly a lot of luck against Barcelona, Real Madrid, Olympiacos, Zenit, Milan, Unix, Ceseca, NFS. And I guess that everyone is aiming not at Anadolu FS, but at Unix. You know, to me, with the current injury plague that Milan are experiencing, you know, they're essentially they are, their best player is out long term. I'm talking, obviously, about Javon Shields. And you see the situation which Cesca are currently at. Will I be surprised if Cesca won't be in the Final Four? No. If you would have asked me in the, the beginning of the season, if I'll be surprised if they won't make it to the playoffs, I would have probably said, hell yeah. But right now, they are currently seventh with 10 and seven. We're, we're talking Cheska here. This is like, this can easily be an, an entire episode because this is not something we've gotten used to seeing. Yes, but if you take into account everything that happened with Cheska injury-wise so oh, far, of course, it, it, it totally makes sense. You know, it, it's, not, it's not really a surprise. No, I get it. But the thing with Fen, I agree that the, the Vesely Decolo injuries, they are legit game changers. Like to the point where it can just, you know, you, they essentially can end up throwing out, out the window everything they just did. And they did something beautiful with their uh, comeback so far. So who knows? I mean, you agree, though, that the win of, of, Asvel, of Asvel, with all the respect to their win, I mean, we would have probably should have anticipated something different if they, if Vesely wouldn't have got injured and also their uh, call. Because that game, I think there was also no Devin Booker. Yes, maybe, but on the other hand, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, the story for this season for Fenerbahce might once again be the injuries. So, yes, as well is delivering, as well has found its role, I think, in the EuroLeague. There are teams that needs a little bit of luck and maybe a couple of more players in order to make it to the playoffs. But nobody can underestimate them right now. And uh, they are ready to beat anyone on any given night. But uh, yes, the story here is Fenerbahce. And uh, uh, you, can't, you can't change your luck at some point. You know, when you lose your top players together on the same game, and then you learn that you will miss them dearly, for the most crucial part of the season, I think that uh, Fenerbahce must do a ton of things in order just to make the playoffs. And then maybe their consolation prize will be a series against Barcelona without having the home court advantage. So uh, it's very hard to keep concentrated to fight until the end and to, to focus so much in the EuroLeague at some point because Uh, in the Turkish league, Fenerbahce is still leading the standings. So uh, it's only natural for Fenerbahce to focus on domestic league and try to do the best and get pole position against an opponent like FS. So it's a very difficult act to balance when you don't have those two guys. Yes, and I think that this is perhaps the best way to move us to uh, the games of the week. Now, normally we would have started with uh, saying, oh, we have an amazing week. And by the way, we do. Uh, but now we are minus two extremely interesting games, which obviously are the Fener Madrid game and the Milan Alba Berlin game. So, Aris, we have seven games for this week. I'm not going to ask you to pick Unix versus FS, <laughs> but from those seven, 
what are your two games to watch and your seven picks, please? I think that uh, both games on the 29th of December are very interesting. But I will go with Olympiakos versus Cheseka because I explained earlier on that this might be a key game not only in the playoffs run, but also in the run for the home court advantage, both for Olympiakos and Cheseka. And uh, on Thursday, on the 13th of December, I think that the most interesting game is Unix against FS. I don't know if you mentioned it uh, by luck, but uh, at this point, uh, Unix is over FS in the standings and FS needs to get some statement wins and also cover some of the lost ground. So this is a golden opportunity for FS. Yeah, obviously I thought you were going to go with FS the Zenit. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that, that can also be interesting, you know, because Vesda is one of the top defensive teams in the EuroLeague and uh, it's a challenge for them to beat a team like Zenit. Oh, for sure. Honestly, I'm probably going to be watching that game as well. I mean, it, 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 in terms of the, the time frame, it, it can be done. It can definitely yes, totally. be done. So give me your uh, seven winners, hopefully, for this week. Okay, I think that uh, Maccabi, because they are playing for their lives, will beat Monaco on the road. I think that Olympiacos will beat Ceseca. I think that Efes will beat Unix on the road. I think that Zenit will also beat Zvezda, ultimately. I think that Panathinaikos will beat Zalgiris. I think that Barcelona will beat on the road uh, Basconia. And last but not least, I think that Asvel will beat Bayer. That actually makes a ton of, a ton of sense. Yes. Uh, okay, so for me, uh, the two games to watch are... Yeah, I, I'm going with you. It's the Unix FS game and Olympia Kosciuszka for obvious, obvious reasons. As for my picks, I'm actually, you know, I'm, I'm very, very much confused here about three games, like the Unix FS. It's like, honestly, you should be going with... Unix are not that bad. Like, they should be able to contain Anadolu FS. Yes, but the, you know, you never know what version of FS you are going to get. Yeah. And since since we're at the start of the second round, I'm betting on getting the, the heydays FS. You know, the, the the best possible FS at this point of the season because right now it's the time for them to flip the switch. And obviously, you know, the other two games for me that are tough are Zenit Fesda. Again, same reason. And Penasanaikos, Chalgiris. By the way, you were the one who said that that when two teams from the same country meet in the EuroLeague, it, it, it's a recipe for catastrophe. So this, inter- this is interesting. Uh, but... You know, my picks, Maccabi, Olympiacos. You know what? I'll surprise you. I'll go with Unix, but that's just because I really got to catch up with Lou, who took a three-game advantage over me. Okay. <laughs> um, and besides, they are really, you know, they're not that bad of a team. And they should be, you know, they really have to cover and react after the Barcelona loss. So, yeah, it's, uh, and FS also are coming after a, a very, very tough win last week, and also they, they lost domestically, right? Okay, that, that, that's usually bad news for their, their next opponent, no matter the competition. That is also true. <laughs> okay, so um, you legit got me there uh, a bit. Yeah, I know what I'll go with Ephes. I'll take Zenit, Panathinaikos, Barcelona, as well. I'm actually I'm with you on all of them. Okay, <laughs> happy to agree. Yeah, as we say, we ride together, we die together. Bad predictions for exactly. life. 
Exactly, exactly. Yeah. The, 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 the sure thing is that I will don't have a chance to cover the lost ground between me and you in the predictions. And my predictions are usually totally off this season. So I hope that uh, <laughs> this week uh, things will change a bit. Actually, you have covered ground like this before, but it just like it wasn't you you covered it like in the still in the first round. So don't lose hope. I have faith okay, in you. Yes, yes uh, there's still a long way to go. Yeah. So let's just hope that everything goes according to plan. So I think it's it's time to uh to get to our uh goodbyes, isn't it? Yes. So uh, where can they find you? As usual, you can find me at eurohoops.net, at the social media of eurohoops, at my own personal social media, and also you can uh, mainly hear me at Cosmo TV commentating games. And obviously, they can see us all, I think, at the premiere of Under Siege 3, The Cook's Revenge. Yes, of course. Yeah, it's going to be we interesting. Just waiting our, we are waiting our invitations from Mehmet for the Red Capital. Oh, yeah, no doubt. We're going we're gonna to be suited up. <laughs> for the occasion um and you can find Emmett by the way on the various various social media uh platforms of Bond Europe by the way great podcasts by uh the Euro Hoops crew check them out and as for Lewis you can find him at Half Glenny yes uh for myself as ever I'm Team Scout and Moses B1 on Twitter the show yes the show has a, a an official Twitter account it is at ELSWIT16SHOW. You know, you can follow, subscribe, show the love. We're available on Spotify, SoundCloud, Anchor, and Apple Podcasts. And um, yeah, that is it. So, till next time. Great pass from Diamantidis. The lob is done! Here we go, 40 minutes to a title. David Blue to three. On the mark, David Blue! Wow. Yeah. Now Spinelis drives inside. Look for the Euroleague Sweet 16, exactly what you need.